This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we talk about what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. The week was absolutely horrifically stunning as we watched the Taliban take over most parts of Afghanistan at a speed that nobody could comprehend. But while the world dealt with one of the largest political subversions that we've witnessed so far, an unusual militant uprising, if I may call it, uh, has shaken Meghalaya's Shillong district. Over the last week, News Laundry has been covering both these events. We've had our columnist Samrat Chaudhary weigh in on the Meghalaya crisis and we've also had multiple reports about the Afghanistan crisis. One of the stories was done by my colleague Supriti David. I'm joined today by both Samrat and Supriti. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you for finding the time to join us. Thanks. Samrat, where are you joining us from right now? Right now, I'm in Calcutta. Okay. Uh, so yesterday, Samrat, we published a report that you did, an analysis report uh, titled Blast from the Past, Militant Group Returns from the Dead and Throws Meghalaya in Crisis. Um, if you could just explain to us what really happened on Sunday, how did the day start? Well, uh, first of all, I'm not on the scene. I'm not in Shillong, I'm in Calcutta. But uh, so basically, uh, the you know there was already a bit of tension before uh, August 15th uh, and uh, so what was what had happened was that uh, a week ago on August 10th there was a bomb blast a very small uh, improvised ex- explosive device went off in a busy part of town in Shillong called Laitumkra and uh, in the afternoon and uh, so after that there was naturally you know some excitement and consternation in town and then uh, after that, what happened was that uh, uh, on the 13th of August, a uh, former militant uh, was shot dead in his house in what people came to believe was a fake encounter. So on August 15th, it was his funeral and uh, it had been a, a protest was planned to coincide with that. And so the trouble that happened was actually basically uh, a result of that. Uh, it was people who were protesting against what they believed was a fake encounter. Right. And can you tell me a little bit about the HNLC? I'm sorry, I can't pronounce the name of the outfit. <laughs> but if you yeah. could, and if you could tell us who they are, what their significance is today. Yeah, it's the Hinutrep National Liberation Council. Hinutrep means seven hills and uh, it, it corresponds to the Khasi Hills of Meghalaya. Uh, Meghalaya has three basic uh, you know, uh, regions within the state itself, the Khasi Hills, Garo Hills and Jantia Hills. And uh, the, each of these hills is inhabited by a different tribe uh, and uh, they have their, uh, you know, the Garos and the Khasis have very different languages. The Khasi and Jantia languages are related. Uh, so HNLC is uh, an ethnic militant organization of the uh, Kasi Hills and uh, it's been around uh, I forget for, for how many years now but basically it was really powerful in the late 90s and uh, since uh, say about 2002-2003 approximately thereabouts it you know it slowly petered out it got sort of uh, you know subdued and uh, in most of the northeast after 2008-9 there's been in general a uh, large reduction in, in violence overall and things have been peaceful. So we have not had any, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of militant activity, especially in Shillong, 
for almost 20 years now and this time when it happened uh, what kind of local what was the local sentiment were were they in support with the hnlc or um, what is the trust level with the police that the locals have what are the conversations if if i may uh, ask you if you have friends from there if you're in conversation with anyone from there is there any sense that you can tell us from what might be happening on ground the general sense has for a long time been that people are not in favor of uh, militancy hmm. uh, but of course they are not in favor of fake encounter killing cyber hmm. Hmm. and uh, that's basically where where it was at after after the you know the the bomb blast surprised and shocked most people and uh, after that uh, you know there was a lot of uh, sort of questioning how did it happen you know what happened suddenly and then that sudden killing uh, also uh, uh, again you know got people talking about what's going on basically you know people are mystified well, because it's like what on earth is going on suddenly we didn't have this trouble for a very long time and what's happened now that it suddenly popped out of nowhere the the militant group according to the director general of police has somewhere between 16 and 20 people and even that may be an overestimate and that is not a uh, you know a sizable number that's a very small number so uh, how it suddenly started carrying out uh, you know activities uh, all of a sudden even in shillong which is the heavily guarded capital is a bit uh, hmm. surprising hmm so and i think the general sentiment that i have heard from you know whoever i've spoken to has been one of uh, mostly you know surprise and shock you know what's happening what's going on hmm and i'm also curious in your report uh, if i can quote you've said the group's sudden return was greeted by politicians across parties speaking to the press about possible peace talks between the hnlc and the indian government um, which you've called an absurdity can you explain why this why you term this as an absurdity obviously it's an absurdity why would the government of india hold peace talks with a group which has 20 people you know at the most the government of india needs to have peace talks with with militant groups sometimes but that is if the group is uh, you know of sufficient uh, influence and and uh, sufficient uh, firepower frankly that uh, that uh, they need to talk to it so for example we've had a very long period of talks with the nsc and im the naga militant main naga militant group because it has uh, uh, what it calls you know what is basically a parallel government and uh, you know it it has uh, for a long time had sufficient international recognition and firepower it's represented at the un uh, uh, unrepresented peoples organization also so it has the sort of clout that the government of india needs to talk to it. the group with 20 fellows why should the government of india talk to them right and i'm just going to ask my colleague supriti if she has any any particular questions for you uh so samrat i wanted to ask uh, are encounter killings in shillong um, are they common or is this like a rare uh, phenomenon that's just happened well uh, in shillong itself i believe this is fairly uncommon although at the peak of militancy we did have uh, some you know sort of spectacular shoot- shootings and killings and things like that but uh, for a long time it's not been like that there have been one or two stray cases but those were stray cases uh, so uh, it's not really that that common in shillong 
it's more common uh, in in manipur it used to be very common in manipur uh, but in in meghalaya uh, i mean there may be you know uh, custodial deaths and things like that but this sort of uh, encounter killing as far as i recall is not very Uh, prominent right and since since sunday what have been the political reactions to what's happened in meghalaya what is uh, what what are the politicians telling us uh well everybody all of them you know they all jumped up and asked for inquiries and now there are multiple inquiries the government has ordered a judicial inquiry already and uh, there's a, a report which has been sent to the national human rights commission and uh, you know that probably has something to do with the fact that a uh, lot of uh, the youth from the khasi community were quite agitated by this uh, uh, you know encounter killing not necessarily because they support militancy or support the militant in question but because they don't support encounter killings and uh, so i guess for the politicians it became necessary to distance themselves from uh you know from from this situation right and how do you assess the way media has covered this incident do you feel that the local media have covered it a lot more than uh what we call the delhi media that is natural and that always happens and it happens everywhere and it is supposed to happen it is not surprising uh i mean there is no such thing as national media i have been saying this for maybe you know 15 years now Uh, there is only only local media let's talk about uh, you know uh, bombay it's very local bombay media is very local bangalore bangalore media is very local delhi media is also very local it thinks it's national but it is not i mean what does what does the average uh, you know bangalore delhi paper know about uh, karnataka politics or what does the average uh, bombay paper know about calcutta politics you know they don't they don't hmm. also we were told by the chief minister that the curfew would be lifted this morning uh, do you have any idea if the curfew has been lifted or if there are certain areas that are still restricted under a curfew uh curfew re- relaxation was announced uh day during the day it is to be lifted from 4 pm it is supposed to be reimposed Right. Um thank you Samrat thank you for the piece I would really encourage everyone to go and read the piece the analysis piece that Samrat has done for us on our website um Supriti I'm coming to you now you've published a report yesterday titled they left us alone in the 21st century what journalists in Afghanistan are saying about the crisis um now as we watch the crisis unfold in Afghanistan why did you think it was important to go through the twitter handles of these journalists to tell us what they were uh, thinking and feeling at that point what was the significance of this report right so uh, i think in a time of crisis the recorders of truth that are journalists they are the ones who always attacked first and uh, it's the journalists who attacked in order to uh, you know alter the narrative to suit the taliban's interests now through the report i wanted to capture not only what the journalists were witnessing at that time like on the ground but also a first hand account of what they were experiencing and what i found that uh, predominantly it's mostly fear and uncertainty 
right and you've also mentioned in your report that a number of news outlets had actually in fact been shut down in the last 4 months alone um can you tell me a little bit about what kind of organizations are these are these uh, organizations that were reporting in vernacular was it uh, reporters reporting in english can you give us a sense of what kind of organizations were shut down right so uh, as per the information that's been released by the ministry of information and culture in afghanistan there are 51 media outlets that have been closed in the country so far because of the uh, escalating violence in the country in the past 3 months now uh, so out of these six media outlets have fallen to the taliban and are being used as a voice for the activities is what the minister of culture and information said now um, all of these uh, media outlets are local media outlets i'm not sure about the language in which they operate of these there are five uh, tv networks 44 radio stations and one media center and a news agency are among the outlets that have halted their operations right and you've also said that on august 16th the new york times washington post and wall street journal sent a group statement to the us president joe biden um what did this statement really say so uh, the statement uh, said that for the past 20 years there have been uh, they have afghan colleagues from these organizations who have worked tirelessly to help uh, them uh, to get information from the ground on the ground now these uh, colleagues and their families are trapped in kabul and their lives are in peril so they were looking for facilitated and protected access to U- the us controlled airport also safe passage through a protected access gate to the airport and facilitated air movement out of the the country for the journalists and their families right and you know you you did the research for this report on the 16th of august it was published yesterday um things have changed in afghanistan by the hour yeah. um from panic it's gone into some it seems like it's gone into some sort of eerie situation where the taliban has been in control for the last two days um have you noticed any change or shift in the sentiment expressed by journalists online uh i wouldn't say i think it's too early for a shift and what i've noticed is also that it's more of uh, the same it's sort of like a, a quiet acceptance of what's happening there they are still talking about uh, their uh, feelings of fear and uh, what they're witnessing firsthand but there's no change as such right and let's also talk about one aspect that you touch in your report which is uh, clarissa was Uh, reporting that she'd been doing if i'm right she works for the cnn yes and uh, tell me a little bit about clarissa ward who is she mm-hmm. why are we hearing about her today suddenly so like I mean, we've always known yeah. her but why is she back in the news in terms of her reporting from afghanistan so she's obviously uh, you know like you said from uh, reporting for the cnn on ground in afghanistan and uh, she's been providing live coverage from the ground and what uh, like very uh, poignant uh, like you know visuals of like what afghanistan looks like under the taliban rule now and uh, she'd come in the news um, like what i reported on in my report also that uh, a lot of people were talking about how she's donned now a full uh, burqa in order to report from there but she clarified that um, you know she'd always worn a headscarf in the streets of kabul previously but not uh, though not with hair fully covered but um, so yeah there is a difference now in terms of like what she's uh, wearing in order to report and uh, samrat did you have any questions for supriti no not really uh, i although i i've also been actually more 
more interested in the uh, in the developments in Afghanistan than in Shillong <laughs> because it's just been more uh, uh, what shall I say more uh, momentous. Yeah, yeah. And and what do you feel about the situation right now? I mean, we've seen the Taliban hold a press conference where they took unscripted questions from journalists. A remarkable um, happening. Yeah, absolutely. And and how do you how do you see it going forward? Do you have any thoughts on on what we would possibly see in the foreseeing future? I don't think at present even the Taliban know what's going to happen next. Nor do the Americans. Nor does anybody else. There are a couple of things that uh, you know that we have to keep in mind. Now, basically, the Americans have withdrawn as they had said they would, and their withdrawal was a bit more hasty than they would have liked. Yeah. But uh, but but I guess they probably uh, you know knew that the country would fall to the Taliban sooner or later. It doesn't mean that the Tali that the Americans are out of military options. They still have military options. It's mm. very easy for uh, you know for uh, for them to fire a missile from the Persian Gulf. The Taliban, whoever becomes president or or whatever you know, run has to run the country. Has to sit in an office, uh, you know, and uh, has to stay in an official accommodation, and they can easily target those. Mm. It was not the case previously. If they want, they can launch. You know, they can. They have plenty of military options. But the thing that worries me. Specifically, it's not not you know not any of that. Uh, there's a whole army which has melted away, and uh, so basically, there's about somewhere between three and three and a half lakh guns, you know, state of the art weaponry, which is now fallen into uh, the Taliban's hands, and which are now going to get distributed or sold all over the place. We we will probably have to worry about the effects of that because you are going to see leakage of a large number of weapons, hmm. and uh, we don't know whether that will fuel further militancy in Kashmir, for example, hmm. or or elsewhere. I think those should be our concerns. Yeah, I mean, there's so much uncertainty now. I mean, this morning we had interviewed a woman who is a member of parliament in Afghanistan, and uh, we were asking her about how the Taliban has always maintained that um, women must abide. I mean, everyone must abide by the Sharia law, and and she was saying there's just so many uh, interpretations of the Sharia law that even they don't know what it would mean to live under the Sharia law or whether it would be any different. I mean, we've also seen how the Taliban has changed over the years. Uh, they were not okay with things like smoking. They were not okay with men playing sport, and it seems like they've come somewhere halfway. But but it was quite stunning the speed at which um, Afghanistan fell, and and also the words that were used, right? Peaceful transition to the Taliban, which it and, was. Yeah, and which provinces falling. Like was. there was no resistance at all. Yeah, and in one uh, way, it's good, I guess, because it also meant less civilian death. Uh, yeah. Due to lack of uh, fighting, what what people are talking about is, I think there's a there's a general sense that after forty plus years of war, they're tired of of you know more of the same. So that seems to be one of the things which is coming up. Uh, and as far as you know, the Taliban's regressive social mores, especially regarding women, is concerned. I find, frankly, among the international, so-called international community, and a lot of people elsewhere, also a lot of hypocrisy. Uh, because, after all, what is the difference between the Taliban 
way of treating people and the Saudi way of treating people. But Saudi Arabia is an American ally. It is uh, and has excellent relations with all large major countries, including India. And uh, you know, so what is the difference, or Iran for that matter? How much is the difference? You'll be splitting hairs, you know, talking about what little differences there might be. But basically, we treat Saudi Arabia in one particular way, Iran in another way, and uh, you know, the Taliban in a completely different light. I think those have more to do with geopolitical calculations than with any any sort of morality. Unfortunately, geopolitics has less morality than ordinary mm. politics. True. Supriti, you had something to add? Yeah, I wanted to uh, add, like Samrat had said, that even the Taliban doesn't know really how things are going to unfold in the next few days. In the press conference that they had had, they talked about, uh, like someone had asked a question regarding how would women be still allowed to uh, continue uh, participating or like being in the media the way they are currently. And they said that, uh, while they said that uh, they would like, you know, the media would continue to work uh, within the the uh, Islamic Sharia laws but right now they can't present everything clearly as yet. Yeah, a lot of things are up in the air and I, I'm sure like Samrat said we'll have to wait and watch for the ripple effect. Uh, also Samrat, I just wanted to check with you what you feel about how you know now it also seems like we would have a crisis to deal with if there's going to be a lot of influx um, from Afghanistan to India and we've already seen some of it happen. Um, I've, I've visited some of the colonies here. There's a lot of uncertainty of how the Indian government would actually welcome them or not, especially given the context of the CAA that we, we saw uh, unfold, the CAA crisis that unfolded a few years ago. Two years ago, was it? Yeah, wow, yeah. it's already been two years. <laughs> um, yeah, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about how you see this going forward, the ripple effect? Uh, we don't have the border with Afghanistan. Hmm. And uh, so it is easy to regulate who gets in and who doesn't. And uh, uh, there, you know, countries do regulate who gets in and who doesn't. But the problem with CA is that it tried to make, make it on the basis of religion, which is unconstitutional as yeah. far as we, are, we can tell. And also unimplementable, uh, you know, as it was framed, which is probably why the and unnecessary, which is probably why the law has not passed into action yet. The rules have not been notified. The thing is that we have a moral responsibility to allow people who are fleeing a very distressful situation to come in. Uh, of course, that doesn't mean that we should also allow, you know, Taliban people who want to, you know, migrate suddenly to come in. There has to be some sort of uh, checking that goes into you know who it is that that is applying for a visa hmm. uh, but uh, that's going to happen they're they're going to issue visas from delhi now and uh, you know they'll be uh, allowing people and when it actually came down to it despite the rhetoric about allowing only hindus and sikhs in the end they did not actually do that and uh, and uh, so so thankfully i think we will see that people uh, you know who hopefully will be selected on the basis of their uh, need, right. uh, will, will be allowed to come in. The problem is that there's, the, you know, the, the, the migration problem we, we are going to see is not really from Afghanistan, it's hmm. from Burma. And we already have that happening. Hmm. And with Burma, we do have a very long and porous border and people have come in already and they're already there.
Right and uh, yeah thank you Samrat for joining us thank you Supriti for joining us before I let you both go um I would like to ask Samrat do you have any recommendations for our readers or, or listeners anything you would want to share with us this week that you read and something that touched you any film song report my <laughs> <laughs> I read a lot but I forget what specifically and the thing that i do remember reading right now may not be of interest to most people i am reading a history of the meitei community of manipur tell us a little bit about it maybe maybe we'd have a, we'd have a listener who might get interested after hearing your introduction uh, it's a it's a history of the meiteis by tc hobson a colonial administrator and author and uh, he's just uh, you know he's he, it's basically putting together the the history from way back like from you know the royal chronicles downwards and uh, up to the colonial times and he's talking about society and uh, uh, you know interesting features of of society as well uh, one thing that comes out from that book which i wasn't aware of actually is that even i was aware that uh, you know there are many communities in manipur but i thought the meitei community which is the community that lives in the manipur imphal valley is uh, you know it's it's a it's a monolith uh, but that's not the case apparently they also had seven different kingdoms within that meitei kingdom right um supriti do you have what are your recommendations for this week um hmm. i'm i'm rewatching uh, this uh, series it's it's on it's in a lighter vein than the history of the meitei but uh it's called uh, dairy girls and uh, it's set in uh, dairy northern ireland and it's set uh, um against the um the troubles during the 1900s and it's really uh it's a comedy uh, i mean it is a sitcom but it's a uh, satire of sorts right yeah it's very mm-hmm. uh it's it's a really interesting watch to see how uh, like regular life you know played out during like a time of conflict it's very interesting Uh, and my second recommendation is a report by Nidhi. Actually, um, it's a first-person account, and uh, it's titled "My Kids Shouldn't Grow Up Where They Can't Sing, Dance, Love Freely." Afghan consulate worker who fled. Uh, in the report, she spoke with uh, Zebulla Zabi, who worked at the Indian consulate. And as the Taliban swept through Afghanistan, he brought his wife and four boys and two girls to Delhi on July 8th, hoping it'd be a temporary uh, arrangement. But on uh, August 13th, uh, the Taliban circled his uh, home, and uh, he's left for good. So you can go to the website and uh, read her report. Thanks, Supriti. In fact, uh, we've taken a decision to publish the reports in their own voices because this was a situation where we did not want uh, our voice to interfere with the grief that they were talking about and the experience they were sharing with us. And my recommendation for this week is actually the series that Guardian has been putting out: uh, women reporting from Afghanistan. I think they're in collaboration with uh, Rukshana Media, if I'm saying it right. Uh, one particular story that I was uh, horrified and moved by was. titled please pray for me a female reporter being hunted by the taliban tells her story um it's very poignant and the fact that in this moment a lot of these voices are getting documented will go down in history and will be read hopefully years later to remember what happens what is happening today
um we have a lot more ground reports from multiple different spaces in india from on multiple different topics we also have videos podcasts uh, talk shows that we have on our website you can check them out at newslaundry.com you can also subscribe to us and get access to some of the exclusive content and talk shows that we host uh, quite regularly you can subscribe to us by going on newslaundry.com at the top right corner there's a button subscribe click on it and you will be guided on how you can become part of our family we have our independence day campaign you can get an annual game changer or disruptor subscription uh, which gives you access to the nl merchandise uh, soap sets tote bags really fun things that even we don't get unless we have subscribed to news laundry we also have a 30% discount on the nl hamper and t-shirts uh, you can use a referral code called freedom f r e e d o m s a l e freedom sale no space in between all capital letters to avail the discount Also listeners if you're listening to this podcast on platforms such as iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher you can head over to our website newslaundry.com and listen to it on our amazing podcast player Um once again Samrat thank you for joining us thank you for the analysis that you've been giving us thank you for writing for News Laundry uh and thank you for your time today Thanks for having me Thanks Supriti also for joining us and looking forward to the rest of your reports this week Thank you Niti And with that this podcast is adjourned. All the news laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel. 